So the title of the message today is How Privileged We Are. How privileged we are. You know, I was just saying when I was praying for us, what a privilege it is to be able to come to the Lord in prayer. I didn't have that in my notes, but there's not hardly any greater privilege than to be able to come before the God of heaven, the creator of the universe, and pray. It's just, it's, it's mind-blowing. But yeah, we're going to be talking about that word, that word privilege, how privileged we are. And just so that I'm not misunderstood by anybody, I'm not talking about white privilege, <laughs> black privilege. This has nothing to do with the color of our skin or our ethnicity or anything else. But we are going to talk about how privileged we are today. That word privilege in the uh, NOAA 1828 Webster's Dictionary, why do I use that dictionary? Because I know that's before they change the meaning of words. Like they're... So get you an 1828 Webster's Dictionary. It's safe. And it's also, it's, it's really influenced by Christianity in that dictionary. But anyway, the word privilege in that dictionary says a particular and peculiar benefit or advantage Benefit or advantage enjoyed by a person, company, or society beyond the common advantages of other citizens. I think you guys understand what the word, to be privileged, it's a great benefit. And you know, I was thinking, as we talk about this word privileged, you know, regardless of what you think about our country, and our country just seems to be getting darker and darker, evil and evil, the things that are practiced in this country, the things that are supported, and but... Uh, let me remind you how privileged we are to live in this country, though. Okay? Privileged you are to be born in this country. You, you could have been born in a country like Sudan where you're scrambling to find a, a bowl of grain to survive. So, so let's not take that for granted. We're very privileged to live in this country. The freedoms that we still have. We're very privileged to live in this state. Amen? Being an Okie, I find it a great privilege. I bet some of you guys that have moved down here from the Northeast... Northwest, you, 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 you know how privileged you are every time you go to the gas pump, right? <laughs> hey, it's a privilege, right? Terry's nodding. We, we were up in Oregon last summer. And it was like, whoa! Now, there are privileges. Privileges is living in the state. You know, privileges of being parents if you've raised children. What a, what a privilege it is for God to give you children. He didn't have to. He could have kept your womb barren. You know, and uh, so these things that we take for granted, uh, privilege as as being a Christian parent, and and you raise, you try to train your children in the Lord, and to see them as adults walking with the Lord, what a great privilege! Because God doesn't owe that to you; it's not a guarantee that they're going to walk with Christ. We've been commanded to to raise them in a certain way, but what a privilege to have children that are walking with the Lord! Um, you know. Um, what, what a privilege it is for, for children who, are, who have good parents. What a, what a privilege it is if you have a mom and dad. Just start with that. If you have a mom and dad in the home. You know, there's so many people, they, don't, they never even know their father. So, so these things, what a, what a privilege if you're, if you're raised in a Christian home being taught truth. What a, what a privilege that is. Um, you know, what a privilege to have a, to have a job, to have a good job, to have a good paying job. Uh, to have, you know, health care nowadays. I mean, these privileges that we, that we can so easily take for granted. These benefits. Um, privilege to having a home, a roof over your head, food to eat. I think you guys get the picture. And yes, I will say, to make it a little, before we really get started, kind of lightheartedly, part of being a, a privilege of living in this state is having Smoking Joe's barbecue. Amen. Amen. Now there's one in Noble. We don't have to drive down to Davis, what Angela told me. But how privileged we are, guys. How privileged we are. Um, you know, I think, all of these, I think all of these things that we're looking at, these common things in our life, is what we would call God's common grace. That, that a lot of people who, who, who they don't love God, they're not, even, they're not Christian, but they still experience a lot of these basic privileges of life. Of, of food to eat and, and friends and family. This is what we would call as God's common grace. Not a saving grace, but His common grace. And you know, you think about maybe even your job. No, 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 I'm the one that goes to work. That's not God's grace. I, I go and I work hard and I earn. But did you know that it's even God that gave you the abilities you have? God gave you the ability to earn wealth. So everything we have 
is a privilege given by God through His just kindness to even His enemies. And so, part of if you have your uh, if you have your bulletin and you, and you follow along on the back uh, the outline, uh, the statement that I have at the top is, you know, because we're commanded in Scripture to to be grateful, to be thankful. That's a command from God. Be thankful in all things, for all things, and. And so part of keeping a grateful heart is remembering how privileged you are. And I'm speaking to myself, obviously, as well. Part of keeping a grateful heart, being thankful, is just remembering how privileged you are, guys, because you and I, all of us, we could have it much worse. <laughs> we could have it much worse in so many ways. And so, But I want to talk about three, three different ways that we can see three privileges as Christians, specifically, that we see in this text today. And so we're in, we're in Luke, guys. We're continuing on in Luke, Luke chapter 7. If you're not there, if you'll turn to Luke 7, and we're in verses 24 through 30 today. Continuing on our, our look at John the Baptist last week. If you guys remember, he was, um, he was in prison. He had been put in prison for his rebuke of, of Herod and his um, adultery and incest with his brother's wife and his niece. And Herod to put him in prison. He's in prison now. He sent a couple of his friends, his messengers to Christ, saying, are you really the expected one? So we talked about that last week. John, was he was struggling. He was struggling with probably some, we called it a dark night of the soul, what Charles Spurgeon calls it. Uh, depression, doubts, these type of things we all go through. And so that's where we're at in verse, in verse 24. We'll read 24 through 30. It says, when the messengers of John had left, he began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who are splendidly clothed and live in luxury are found in royal palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people and the tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purposes for themselves, not having been baptized by, by John. Father, we just ask You, Lord, to help us all today to honor Christ. Father, help me to deliver Your Word without error, accurately, Lord. But Father, in spite of me, Lord, just please speak to Your people. Please minister to them today. Lord, my greatest desire is that they would hear You. They would hear Your Spirit speaking to them through Your Word. And Father, may Christ be glorified in all of our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. <clears throat> the privilege of Christ's defense is the first one, if you're following along on the, on the outline. The privilege of Christ's defense is the first privilege we're going to see. How privileged we are. Okay? How privileged we are. The privilege of Christ's defense. Look at verse 24. When the messengers of John had left, he began to speak to the crowds about John. Um, so, so again, I, I, just, I just stated what we looked at last week. These messengers came to Jesus with a question from John. Are you, are you, the, are you really the expected one? Or should we expect another? And so, he was a, he was, there was crowds. We, we see these crowds. So there was other people who were hearing this take place. And we even see in verse 21, after the question they asked, at that very time, He cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits. And He gave sight to many who were blind. So the, the point is, is there, were, there were other people involved here that were hearing this going on. These crowds. And so, um, in verse 24 it says, When the messengers of John had left, He began to speak to the crowds about John. He says in verse 24, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Because the point is here, guys, 
And some of these people in the crowd, they may have been having doubts about John now. Wow. John, man, listen to these, listen to these, listen to these doubts he's having. Maybe he's not the guy we thought he was. Maybe he's not as strong as we thought. He's in prison. He's having these questions. So Jesus is turning, turning to the crowds and asking these questions for, 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 for some people in the crowd who may have been having questions about John. And so he says this in verse 24. He began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? So Jesus is saying, basically, if you're having any doubts about John, my man, you need to get those thoughts out of your mind. That's what he's saying. He's going to go on the defense of John. Get those thoughts out of your mind. You know, maybe some of these people are saying, John's not as strong as I thought. You know, guys, we need to be very careful. If that's what some of these people were thinking, we can fall into that very easily. We need to be very careful to, uh, if, if we know somebody who's faithful to the Lord, but oh, they've had a moment of weakness. Maybe they've had doubts. Maybe they're struggling, struggling with depression. Maybe they, maybe they fell into sin. We need to be very careful not to cast people off just because we see them fall, Okay? But that's what Jesus is doing here. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? You know, some of these people traveled up to 40 to 50 miles on foot to come out and hear John. That's what Jesus is... What did you guys go out to see? Who did you go out to see? What did you go out... What, what did you travel all that way to see? Did you go out to see a reed shaken by the wind? You know, and that... And that during that time, those, those areas around where he would be preaching around the Jordan, you know, it, it would overflow at times. And you have these reeds growing in, in the water along the bank. Just, you know, you can Google a reed. It's just these tall, skinny green plants. And just picture them in the wind, right? The wind, the wind blows and they move back and forth. That's the picture he's given. They would have obviously known what he's talking about. What did you go out to see? Did you go out to see a reed shaken by the wind? Don't mistake John as a reed that's shaken by the wind. Don't mistake, don't mistake John as somebody who's easily swayed like a reed. When the reed, the wind blows and the, and the reed is easily swayed, don't be mistaken John for that kind of man. Don't be mistaken John who's going to be swayed by every wind of compromise. In other words, that's not who John is. Just because he may have some questions, just because he may be going through some doubts, and needed a little reassurance, don't be mistaking him for a man of compromise who's all of a sudden fallen and compromising with every wind, every wave of compromise. Yes. Yes, John, he's had a dark night of the soul. Yes, John's struggling. Okay? But don't be, don't be, don't be uh, thinking that he's this man that's going to be blowed by every wind of doctrine that comes along. Church, can I, can, I, uh, can I say to you that that's happening in our day? Everywhere we look, there are men compromising with the truth. Men with, with, men with big names, big ministries. Don't be shocked. Don't be shocked if you see men compromise in our day. And it doesn't matter who they are. Compromising with things like Wokeism, homosexuality, and these type of things. This is not who John was. John was not a man who compromised. Jesus is saying, look at his life and his ministry. Consider why he's in prison. Why was John in prison? Because he was a compromiser? No way. He was not in prison because he was a compromiser. He wasn't in prison for being like a reed, for being, for being compromising with the truth. No, he was in prison for being like an oak tree. He was a man who was steadfast. He was a man who was planted on the truth of God's Word. He was a man who was not swayed by every wind of compromise that would have been in his day. Church, you and I, we need to be like that oak tree. We need to be like an oak tree, not like a, not like a reed. Okay, and it's regardless 
of who we see shifting, of who we see compromising. We need to remain steadfast to the truth. That's what you and I have been called to. He was a man of conviction, John the Baptist. That's what Jesus is saying here. Yeah, he had a dark night of the soul. Yeah, he he experienced some doubts. But John was a man of conviction. John was the one who called sin, sin. And didn't change it. He called sin, sin. He even called out the famous people of his day, the famous preachers of his day. You know the Pharisees were the famous preachers of his day? They were. I mean, the nation of Israel, that's who they looked to. Did John compromise when he saw them coming? Absolutely not. He called it what it was. You, you, you brood of vipers, you're a hypocrite. You're hypocrites. Jesus is defending John. That's what he's doing here. He's defending John. Take, take comfort in this, guys. Jesus is defending John. What a privilege for John to be defended by Jesus Christ. Don't let this doubt fool you. Speaking to the crowds of who John is. Do you know, church, Jesus defends you as well? If you're His child, He defends you. He does. He defends you simply for being His child. Do you know He is our advocate? He's our defender. That's what the word means. He comes. He he comes to your side and defends you. He wasn't done with John, and he's not done with you. You know who he comes to defend you against? The accuser. The accuser, capital A. Who's the accuser? Satan. He is the accuser. He accuses the brethren before the throne of God. And Jesus is your advocate. But you know, Jesus is also your, your defender. He defends you against accusers. Little a, in other words, even people in this world who may falsely slander you and accuse you. Jesus is our defender. Maybe it's a moment of weakness in your life, right? We all have them. We all have a moment of weakness. We all have a, 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 a downtime in our life. We all have doubts. We all go through seasons of depression. Maybe it's a sin you fall into. And did you know there are certain people who, they'll be done with you. This guy, he's done. This lady, she's done. I thought, I thought they were this and that. Now look at them, man. And so, but you know who, who will never be done with you, church? Christ, if you're His. And He will defend you. He wasn't done with John. And He's not going to be done with you. We see His defense continue in verse 25. But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who are splendidly clothed and live in luxury are found in royal palaces. I love Jesus' language here. He's a man's man. And he's saying John's a man's man. He said, what did you go out to see? Verse 25, a man dressed in soft clothing. You know that word in the Greek? It means effeminate. And it's the same exact Greek word that's in 1 Corinthians 6 where Paul says the effeminate will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's the word he's using. Soft clothing. What did you go out to see? A a man dressed in soft clothing? In other words, applying that to the to the to the clothes, it would be it would be this soft to the touch, this light, thin clothing, something that my wife might wear. Okay, I mean it's women's clothing and pajamas type stuff. Not, not that men couldn't have soft clothing for pajamas, but it's something a, a man would wear in public. It's, it's, something that, it's something that effeminate men would wear is the point here. And, and so what's he saying? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? A man who's easily moved because he's soft? He's like a reed? He, he, he can be moved by... by by any, by any wind of compromise because he's soft. That's not, that's not who John the Baptist was. And speaking of clothing, what did it say John wore? 
a garment of camel's hair and a leather, belt, a leather belt around his waist in Matthew 3, 4. And he ate locusts and wild honey. That's God's man. <laughs> you know, you know if it, if it, in our day, I think Jesus would have been saying, this man wears a flannel, <laughs> not women's pajamas. <laughs> and so, but it's just a man's man. That's what he's saying. John's not easily moved. That's not who he is. Get these thoughts out of your mind. What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who are splendidly clothed and live in luxury are found in royal palaces. Royal palaces. John didn't go to flatter the king so he could live in his royal palace. He rebuked him. He called sin what it is. You went out to hear a man of God. That's who you went out to hear. You went out to hear a prophet. You went out to hear a man who stands on truth and didn't budge. I'm thankful for those men. May God give me the grace to be that kind of man. You went out to hear a man who was built upon conviction of the truth. To where it literally cost him his head. He ended up having his head chopped off. Because he stood for truth. This is not some soft, people-pleasing, girly boy. No, this is a man. This is my man. That's who John is. Jesus is coming to his defense. It makes me want to cry. Jesus is coming to his defense. He, he's now, he's now riding in prison. Battling his own doubts and having this dark night of the soul. And little does he know Jesus is defending him. He's defending him. A man of conviction. A man who's not swayed. A man of self-denial. That's John the Baptist. That's John the Baptist. He's not a wimp. <laughs> Matthew, Matthew 3, 5, it says, it says Jerusalem, Judea, and all the district would come out to hear him. There was a time when he was very popular. They would all come out to hear this bold preacher of John the Baptist commanding the crowds and even the, the spiritual leaders of his day to repent. The Messiah is here. Repent, get right with God before judgment comes. And now where is he? He's rotting in prison. He's having his own doubts. And he's all alone. He's all alone. But Jesus is saying, don't let this fool you. Don't think because He's in prison and He's all alone and He's struggling, don't think that, that, that this means that God is not pleased with Him. See, we, we need those reminders. We need those corrections of what God is pleased with and what He's not pleased with. You can have some big, giant, worldwide ministry. doesn't mean God's pleased with you. You can be a faithful saint in a dungeon somewhere, and God is pleased with you. We're not to compromise with the truth, Amen. church. And, and, and John doesn't compromise. Church, he defends you. We see the privilege of Christ's defense in John's life, but I want to reassure you that he defends you. He is your defender. He is your advocate. So can I encourage you to live with a clear conscience before the Lord. Don't worry about what men think. Don't worry about being in the, the popular crowd. Even amongst Christians. Live a life to where you have a clear conscience before God. Each and every day. Live near Him daily. What do I mean by that? Spend time with Him daily. Be in His Word daily. Confessing your sin daily. Be bringing all of your, all of your baggage. All of your sin all of your doubts to Him daily. Be, be communing with Him daily. Be honest. Be real with Him daily. Lord, this is where I failed today. This is where I need You. God, I confess my sin to You. Be near to Him daily. Don't play the hypocrite. So if Jesus, let's just say, if Jesus were to speak to your accusers, somebody who saw you, yeah, yeah, I used to I used to think a lot of old so and so, but I saw them, man. They they uh, 
Man, they fell. They fell in the sin. Or they're, they're having these doubts. Man, how can they? They, they just seem awful weak. Live, live so close to Christ, guys, that if He were to speak to your accusers, He would say this. You know, sorry Kelly, I'm going to use your name. <laughs> but this is all of us, guys. Yeah, yeah. you know, you, you, accuse, you accuse my child of this or that because she experienced a moment of weakness. But you know what? I know her. First of all, I purchased her salvation. So she's mine. Her sins have all been paid for, all under my blood. I took them on the cross. So he defends us in that way, just simply from being his child. But you know what? My daughter, she spends time with me daily. So all of these things you're accusing her of, she's already brought to me. And I cleanse her daily. And yeah, yeah, he's weak at times. She's weak at times. But you know what? Because I know all things, I know she loves me. Jesus defends you guys. He is our defender. He's the one we need to please. Amen, Kel? He is the one you need to please. Don't set your eyes on men. I don't care who they are. The longer I'm a Christian, and just the more, well, I mean, just men I've seen in the past just flat out fall, just flat out apostatize. Nothing surprises me anymore. Any type of compromise these last few years with all the the woke gospels and everything. It's, it's, it's the apostasy of our age, it seems like. Just men compromising everywhere you look. Keep your eyes on Christ, guys. Keep your eyes on the truth. The privilege of Christ's defense. Secondly, we'll see the privilege of John's ministry and ours. The privilege of John's ministry and ours. Verses 26 through 28. Look at what he says in 26. But what did you go out to see? He's still asking the question. A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and one who is more than a prophet. In verse 27, this is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. What did you go out to see? A prophet? (laughs) Yeah. You know, after 400 years of silence, God has sent another prophet. 400 years of silence. That's a privilege in and of itself. To be the one who broke the sound barrier. God has sent another prophet. God has been silent to the nation of Israel for 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. But now, John the Baptist has come. So that's a, that alone is a great privilege. That reminds me, in a sense, of being a foreign missionary. What a great privilege that is. Just talking to Daniel about that when he was here. It's the same gospel that we preach. I mean, I was fortunate to preach with Daniel for several hours. Same gospel. He's preaching the same gospel here with me on the streets. But what a privilege to preach it in a land where people have literally never heard the name of Jesus Christ. You see the privilege in that? And so in a sense, John is privileged just because he's this one after 400 years who has come. But Jesus goes on to say, but I say to you, and one who is more than a prophet. What does he mean by that? Well, verse 27 is what he means by that. This is quoted from Malachi 3.1. This is the one about whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. He's more than a prophet, meaning this. Not only was he a prophet, is he a prophet, but he was also prophesied about in the Old Testament. They said he would come and he is here. What a great privilege John has to announce the arrival of the Messiah. The Old Testament actually prophesied that John would come. And what a great privilege he had. What a great privilege he had. Look at verse 28. I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Let's stop right there. No one greater than John. Now, obviously, when he says uh, that there is no one greater than John, um, 
When he says, uh, among those born of women, there was no one greater than John, he's obviously talking about those who were born of normal conception between man and woman. He's not talking about himself as the Messiah. But we know what he's saying. These other prophets, they predicted that he would come throughout the Old Testament. Just one prophet after another. They didn't even fully understand sometimes what they were predicting, but they were, that they would be this one come, this, this deliverer, this Messiah. But John, what did he get to do? He's here. <laughs> Not he's coming. He's here. Look at him. That's him right there. He's the one over there. He's the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. John 1.29. What a great privilege. Have you guys ever been able, ever had the privilege of introducing somebody great? Introducing somebody you really respected? Guy or girl, you know, maybe to a crowd somewhere. What a great privilege that is. Just to be able to say, you know, I know this person. I want to introduce them to you. What a privilege this was to introduce, to announce the Messiah. So part of his greatness is this great privilege that he had in his ministry. He was privileged to be the prophet that would break the silence of over 400 years. He was privileged to be prophesied about. He was privileged to announce the Messiah is here. He talked to him. He even got to baptize him. You know, can I tell you what a privilege it is to baptize anybody? I'll tell you a story. The first person I baptized, I was like 24 years old. I was going to a little church in Midwest City, a little Baptist church, and I got really close to the pastor. He was an elderly guy. He had a lot of health issues. And so he was going to baptize a young lady or a young guy on Sunday. He goes, Brady, would you be my baptizer? He goes, I'll do the talking, you do the dunking. Because I don't think I can lift him up out of the water. What a great privilege that was. What a great privilege it is to baptize somebody, a person who has came out of darkness into light, to testify to the world that I am not my own. I have been buried with Christ and raised to walk in newness of life. John got to baptize Christ. How privileged he was. He preached repentance. He heard the Father testify, This is my Son, <laughs> whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. He, he, he was privileged to preach repentance, to preach conversion, to point people to the Messiah. Oh, what a great ministry that John was given. This was part of His, this was part of his, his greatness. The very ministry that He was given. But it was also the kind of man He was. The character that John had. The humility that he had. Because after the Messiah's arrival, after announcing Him, what, what was Jesus' desire? His desire was to fade. His desire was, don't look at me, look at Him. I'm not even worthy to, to uh, lace the, His sandals. And we went through that language, it means I'm not even worthy to be a slave. Now He said, he must increase. I must decrease, but He must increase. So He was great because of His ministry, because of His privilege, because of His humility. He was a man of conviction. He was a man of integrity. This is what made Him great. He was a man of faithfulness. He was a man who was committed to the truth to the very point where He lost His head. Is that our, can, we, can, can we truly say that as Christians? He must increase, but I must decrease. Can we truly say that? When attention is given to us, maybe for something we've done for the Lord, can we truly, from our heart, humbly say thank you, but I, 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 it's, it's Christ, it's not me. Can we truly say that? that? See, that's who John was. He was a humble man. Powerful, powerful prophet of God, but a humble man. That, those always go hand in hand, by the way. You know, I've been messaging Daniel a lot. We've been even talked on the phone, just telling him how much I love him. But one of the things I loved about Daniel is his humility. Yeah, Daniel. If, he, if Daniel happened to hear this, he wouldn't mind me saying he's kind of a wild man. But he's a humble man. He's a gentle man. I saw the way he acted in our home. Very gentle man. But that's who John was. John was a humble man. Man committed to the truth. 
But look at verse 28b. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. You ever, have you ever wondered about what exactly that means? He who is least in the kingdom of kingdom of God is greater than he. Well, first of all, it doesn't mean that John wasn't in the, wasn't in the kingdom, okay? That's not what it means. John is more important, okay, first of all, John is more important in the scope of redemptive history than all of us, right? I mean, this was the prophet who was prophesied. He came to announce. <laughs> so nothing we do as far as ministry outdoes his, okay? So what does this greater mean? Can I tell you, it gets really to the heart of the title of our message. It's all about privilege. It's all about privilege. I say to you, among those born of women, there was no one greater than John, yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. We're not going to out-reward John. Okay, I don't think any of us are. We're going to receive so many much more rewards from the Lord because we were so much greater than John. I don't think so. I don't think that we're, we're, we're any greater in God's grace bestowed upon us or works than John. I don't think that's what any of this language is about being greater than John. But in privilege and in understanding, we are greater than John. Okay? Turn, turn over to Luke chapter 10. It gives us a picture of this and, and then I'll comment further. Luke 10 Verses 23 and 24. Jesus says this. It says, Turning to the disciples, He said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wished to see the things which you see and did not see them, and to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. He's telling His disciples how, how privileged they are. These guys walk with Christ, right? They saw His miracles. They saw Him raise men from the dead. They heard His teaching. That the prophets, they, you know, they could only dream of seeing. And these guys got to walk with the Messiah. Now, we don't have Christ here, do we? But can I say to you in certain ways, we are even more privileged What do we have that even, that even the disciples at that time didn't have? And, and certainly John didn't have. You know what we have? We have the cross to look back upon. We have Calvary to look back upon. We can look back on the finished work, the resurrection of Christ, right? John didn't get to see Calvary. John didn't get to see the third day. And you know what John didn't have, guys? John didn't have the New Testament epistles explaining all these things in such a deep way for us. He didn't have these things. He didn't have these, these rich, our New Testament that we have explaining these doctrines of justification. How we're saved, right? That we're saved. That the, the, These doctrines that teach that when we believe in Christ and that God gives us the righteousness of Christ. And Jesus took our sin upon the cross. And, and Paul explains these things for us. The fact that Christ died in our place, a, a word like substitution. And so what do all these, what do all these truths that we have? They help us with what? They help us and assist us with our doubts that we have. We go to the Word of God. You see how privileged we are? Do you understand how privileged you are? You are greater than John in that way. You have, you have God's Word. The, not just the new, the old. We have it all because now that we have the new, it sheds light on the old. That's this greater language. 1 Peter 1, 10 and 11. I read it earlier. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, make careful searches. These were prophets of God, guys. They made careful searches, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ 
within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and glories to follow. They didn't have a full understanding of what they were even prophesying. They sought to know and understand these things. And we have it right here. We can understand these things. It tells us what Jesus did for us. It tells us about His resurrection. Now Paul, he applies all these things, Paul and Peter and others. How how do we apply it to our Christian life? We have the verse that we sang, right? I know whom I believed. John didn't have that verse. But that's in 1 Timothy. We can go and we can name it and claim it. I claim that verse. I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that He's able to protect me to the very end. You see? We're greater in this way. Did you know that you are greater than Isaiah? (laughs) The prophet Isaiah. You know why? Because you have the book of Romans. He didn't have the book of Romans. Think about Romans, guys. You could have the book of Romans and literally have almost everything you need. We have the book of Romans. Justin's nodding his head. Isaiah didn't have that book. We have the whole Bible. You know, I don't think we have any farmers in here. Anybody farmed? No? Let's just say one of you guys were a farmer. Bob, let's say you were a farmer. And let's say you came from a generation of farmers. You know, I bet it would be safe to say that you probably weren't a better farmer than your great-great-grandfather. But you know what? You're greater in the sense that you have this big thing called a combine. (laughs) And these big machines that you can plow with. No, it's a great, that would be a great privilege to have one of that. Farmers of our time, they're not better farmers necessarily, but they have greater privileges. They have all this equipment. They can, they can farm a lot more land a lot quicker. And so we have been, we have a more privileged place in the history of salvation, guys. Do you know that? And I would say us even more today by far than any generation. Why? Well, these right here, combine that with these right here, the technology we have. Amen, Justin? You listen to your, to your, uh, to your different ministries and teachings and your, while, you're, while you're your skid steer. When I'm driving my truck, I can now listen to sermons and teachings and this and that. What great privileges we have that the prophets of God did not have, that John did not have. But I will say this, what a great blessing these things are, but it's a lot that we're going to have to answer for. Right? Because we're without excuse. If you're a Christian and you don't read your Bible, you are so without excuse. And I say that to myself as well. We've got multiple copies. We've got them on our phone. You can get hundreds of them on your phone. Probably more than that. there's, There's good teaching. It doesn't replace the local church. But there's so much out there that are just at, the, at our fingertips. And so we're so privileged in this. So we're greater than John in that sense. We're so privileged, church. And then last, the privilege of the gospel itself. The privilege of the gospel itself. Verse 29 and 30. Verses 29 and 30. When all the people and tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice. Having been baptized having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. So the, the, the privilege of the gospel itself, the privilege of the good news that Christ died for sinners and He can save us. But look, at, look what it says in verse 29. When all the people and the tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice, having been baptized with the baptism of John. Turn over to Psalm 51 real quick. Psalm 51. Now King David, who was was described as a man after God's own heart, had fallen into sin. He had committed adultery with Bathsheba had Bathsheba's husband killed. So he was, uh, he was a man of God, but he had fallen into grave sin. And so this is his psalm, his prayer of confession and repentance. But listen to what it says in verse 3 and 4. 
And we're going to apply it to verse 29 here. Okay, so I'm going, to go, I'm going to read verse 29 again. When all the people and tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice, having been baptized with the baptism of John. Psalm 51, 3 and 4. This is David confessing his sin, prayer of confession and repentance. Verse 3, he says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Beloved, that is a picture of repentance. Okay? That's what that's a picture of. What is David doing? He's acknowledging his sin. I know my transgressions, God. I know my sin. I know my guilt. I know what I've done. I know I've broken your law and my sin is ever before me. I am guilty. And it's against you, God. It's against you and you only that I have sinned. It wasn't my neighbor's fault. Nobody made me. Nobody forced me. I'm not making excuses. Against you, God, and you only, I have sinned and I have done what is evil in your sight. He's calling sin what it is. Beloved, that's repentance. When we say agreeing with God, when we say having a change of mind, that's not some little flippant thing. You are agreeing with God about your sin. You are owning it. And that's what David's doing. And then he says, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. God, you are, you are right. You are justified when you speak. My sin is evil. It is sin against you. I have no excuse for it. I'm not going to rationalize it. I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to call it something that it's not. I'm not going to call it mistakes. It's sin and it's evil. And I've sinned against you. And you're blameless when you judge. I deserve to go to hell. That's repentance. It's agreeing with God. This is what I deserve. And everything you say in your word about me, about my sin, is true. And I agree with you. And we could go ahead and we can go ahead and apply that to somebody who hears the gospel. And everything you say about your son is true. You said in your word that your son is the only way to heaven, the way, the truth, and the life. And I agree with you, God. I acknowledge my sin, and I ask you to forgive me, and I trust in your son to save me. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Save me, Lord Jesus. And so it's that's what that's what he's saying here. In verse 29 in Luke, when all the people, these are the common people, church, when all the people and the tax collectors, it's a picture of the sinners. It's a picture of the crowd who was, who was hearing John, acknowledging their sin like David. They were acknowledging their sin, their guilt, their need for forgiveness. They acknowledged God's justice, demonstrating that by the fact that they were baptized. These were... These were the people who came with repentance and were baptized as a result. Let me ask you a question. Do you agree with God about your sin? Amen. I love seeing smiles and nods about your need for Jesus. You need Jesus. We all need Jesus. It's how simple it is, guys. You just agree with God. Yes, I need a Savior. Lord, save me. It's that simple. I need to be saved because I'm a sinner. You're blameless when you speak. I agree with you. Without Christ, I will go to hell. I repent, Lord. Save me. I believe in Jesus. Have you repented? Have you believed? We don't want to make this too complicated, guys. Have you believed in Christ? Childlike faith. You know the evidence that you have repented and believed, you'll continue to do so. I love the verse. We reference it a lot. Philippians 1.6 He who began a good work in you will bring it to a completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Did you know if you have believed in Christ, it's God who began that work in you? And it says He'll bring it to completion. Amen. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. You can't jump out of His hand. Have you repented? Have you believed? Let me ask you this. Have you been publicly baptized? As a believer, 
testifying. The water doesn't save you, but it testifies. As Paul says in Romans 6, that my old man was buried. Remember, remember Matthew? He's talking about this. The old man was buried, went down to the grave with Christ. And when that person is raised out of the water, it's a picture of the new man being raised with Christ Amen. to walk in newness of life. It's a testimony to all those who would see. I am now Christ. So maybe, maybe you've believed. For those of you who are members, who are members in the church, we've, we've discussed those things. But maybe there's somebody here who, yes, you are, you are trusting in Christ, you're a Christian, but you've never been publicly baptized as a believer. I would encourage you to do so. I would encourage you to speak with me about that. We'd love to baptize you as one of Christ's disciples. But look what it says in verse 30 to close, guys. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purposes for themselves, not having been baptized by John. The Pharisees, right? The, those religious leaders of his day, the strictest sect that there was, these Pharisees, these hypocrites. And God did save Pharisees. Paul was a Pharisee, so God did save certain Pharisees. But as a, as a, as a whole, they were hypocrites. It was all outer. It was all showy. The hypocrites, the lawyers, those who taught God's law, they studied the law of God. But guess what? They rejected God's offer of salvation. The Pharisees and the lawyers and these religious hypocrites, it says, rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. You know, sadly, there are many religious people like that in our day. You know what? You may be here and you may know the Word of God almost as much as the devil does. But at the same time, you're rejecting God's purpose for your life. What's God's purpose when it says they rejected God's purpose for themselves? What is, what is God's purpose if you do not know Christ? God's purpose for your life above anything else is to come to His Son. To know His Son. To love His Son. To worship His Son. To follow His Son. To live for His Son. To testify of His Son. That's your purpose, right? The verse in Colossians 1. 16, I believe it is. We've talked about many times. That, that all these things were created. All things were created by Jesus Christ, right? Whether things in heaven... On earth, visible, invisible, things under the microscope, the galaxies, the moon, the sun, the stars, the spiritual world, the demons, the, the angels who were later cast out of heaven, now they're demons. Jesus is the creator of all of it. It says all things were created by Him. And, and, we, and we emphasize that a lot, but it also says all things were created for Him. That means you. You were created for Christ. That's your purpose. You were created to love and adore and worship and glorify Jesus Christ. Oh, don't, don't reject God's purpose for your life. You know, the most hardened atheist. I tell them that same thing. You were created to love God, to worship Christ. That's your, that's your very reason for existence. And the same goes for all of us here today, guys. May we never forget that as Christians. We do all things to the glory of God. To glorify our God who has saved us. Maybe you have been baptized, but you were baptized as a hypocrite. It didn't mean nothing. Because you've never truly repented and believed. Can I, can I, can I warn you lovingly that if you have never come to Christ, if you have never repented and believed and you were to die today, you would split hell wide open. Make no mistake about it. Doesn't matter all of your religion. Doesn't matter how much you know God's Word. You would split hell wide open. Which, which reminds us of this, of this last point, guys. We are so privileged for such access to the good news. We have it. 
You're so privileged here today. If you do not know Christ, I beg you to come to Him by faith. To come by faith. Bring your sin to Him just like David did. Say, God, I'm guilty. Here's my sin. You're right. Everything you say about me is right. Everything you say about your son is right. And I need Him today. Save me. We are so privileged as Christians, guys, to get to preach this gospel. You understand how privileged you are? You can have all the money in the world, right? All the wealth, all the fame, all the prestige, all the pats on the back. First of all, without the gospel, you'd perish and go to hell. What would it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lost his soul? Jesus said, for what can a man give in return for his soul? It would profit you nothing. But as Christians, as Christians, let us, let us be done with the trivial things of this world. We are privileged to have a, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ to proclaim to this world. And let us spend our time studying and equipping ourselves how to do that. We should never be afraid of opening our mouths for Christ. Of not knowing what to say. Has God saved you? Has He saved you? Then you know enough about the gospel to share it with somebody. You don't have to have all the answers. But that's why we study and show ourselves a proof so that we can be more equipped to reach more people. That's what it's about, guys. We're gonna, in the blink of an eye, guys, all of this is going to be over one day. It's going to be over. We're going to be in eternity. Yes, if you're saved, you're saved. Amen. Nothing can change that. But man, let's go out. Right? Let's go out. Saddles blazing. Let's go out like our brother. Rocky. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, I delivered to you as of first importance. That means, listen up, this is the most important, this is the main thing. And what is it? That Christ died for our sins. According to the Scriptures. That He was buried and He rose again according to the Scriptures. That is what is of first importance. We can agree and disagree about many trivial things. Even secondary doctrines. But this is the thing that is of most first importance. We are so privileged to have the gospel. We are so privileged to be able to preach the gospel. We are so privileged by the grace of God to be able to believe the gospel. And the Bible says that now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. If you're not right with God, get right today. Call upon His name now. Paul doesn't even say today. He says now. Now is the day of salvation. Call upon His name right now where you sit. If you're in this room, if you're listening to this somewhere, call upon His name now where you sit. And He is able and willing. Shall I say He is willing and able. He is able to save you now if you will look to Him by faith. Let's pray. <sighs> Father, how gracious You are to privilege us, privilege us with Your love, with Your Son, Lord, that you would send him into the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Father, maybe the most famous verse in, your, in the scriptures, God, but may, may we never lose love and affection for that truth. What a powerful truth that is. That you did not have to send your son, but motivated by love, you did. And that he is saving sinners. Oh Lord Jesus, have your way here today. We pray that you would... I pray God that if there's anybody that doesn't know you here. Father, has any, has any 
genuine, real pastor would ever desire that nobody that's sitting under the sound of his voice would, would perish. God, that, that we would all know you. And so, Father, I just pray that, God, I pray that, you, I pray that your people would be just reminded of these truths, Lord, of, that you are our defender, that Christ defends us. That we are so privileged to have Christ as our defender. That, that you have given us such a, a great privilege in our ministry, Lord. That we have your word. We have the full canon of scripture. To answer all these questions that we have of who you are like and what you are like. And, and, and our great salvation. You describe it in detail. What has happened to us. May we never take your word for granted, Father. And Father, please encourage your people and remind them of how privileged they are for having the gospel at their fingertips and the tip of their mouth that they have believed it. That we get the privilege, it's a privilege to tell another image bearer of God how they can be saved. There's no greater privilege. And the privilege of prayer, Lord, that wasn't even in our sermon, but the privilege we have to come before you like we are right now, God. May we not take these things for granted. So, Father, please receive our worship today, God. We thank you and we praise you for all things. In Christ's name, amen.